they meet a vice dean and they realize this person's actually quite approachable and really nice. And it just breaks down barriers. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. I'm Kim Skorupski, and you've tuned in to the Triple H, the Habits and Hacks from Hopkins. And today we have Dr. Jennifer Lee. Jenny, how are you doing today? Hi, Kim. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You're another one of our gems that have just been lying somewhere without me seeing you. And I'm so, so thrilled to have you here today. And when I heard about all the cool stuff you were doing, I knew we had to have you on the podcast. So thank you for carving time to talk to us. And why don't you first start off by telling everyone what you do. I am a pediatric anesthesiologist, and I am also a clinician scientist, but I have a very strong interest in faculty development. So I was recently appointed to the Associate Vice Chair of Faculty Development and Affairs in the Department of Anesthesia and Critical Care Medicine. Wow. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And, and I know you, you participated in our leadership program for women faculty through our Office of Women in Science and Medicine. And so we're, we're always so pleased to talk to faculty members who have gone through um, faculty development programming and appreciate leadership. And so you're going to tell us about a wonderful, very creative, innovative program that you're involved with that is not only here at Hopkins, but is global. So why don't you just take it away? All right. Thank you. So I want to tell you a little bit about a program that I conceived of and founded. It's called the Women's Empowerment and Leadership Initiative, or WELI, within the Society for Pediatric Anesthesia. So we have a lot of women anesthesiologists, roughly half of the anesthesia workforce is women, but there's a very low proportion that actually make it to the professor, chair, and chief positions, and relatively fewer women in the dean and C-suite and president role in, at universities. If you look at the different subspecialties, there are more women chairs in OB-GYN and family medicine than there are in anesthesia. And so in 2018, I was like, well, I think that we should work on this problem. So I was fortunate to be a member of the board of directors for the Society of Pediatric Anesthesia, and I proposed the Welly program, and they embraced it and the society has been phenomenal. So our mission statement is to empower highly productive women pediatric anesthesiologists to achieve equity, promotion, and leadership. And we set the program up initially among academic centers, but we're expanding to private practices. And right now we have almost 70 hospitals that are involved throughout the United States and in Toronto, Canada, and almost, well, about 190 members, so nearly 200 members. Half of them are advisors, and they are leaders in pediatric anesthesiology who have a track record of mentoring, and they range from associate professors to chairs, chiefs, vice deans, lots of amazing people. 40% of our advisors are men, so we have a lot of men who are really engaged in the mission of promoting women. And then all of our protégés identify as women. That's all we ask. Just identify with the W and Welly. And they range um, in experience from being an assistant professor or instructor all the way up to being professors themselves. So I am a professor and I am a protege because during all phases of our career, we need guidance. So three of the things that we work on are mentoring and coaching, networking, and sponsorship. So is there one that you want to start with, Kim, and we can talk about it? No, I, I just want to just pause here. I'm so 
excited about this. And my mind is racing with wanting to, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of people who are listening to this podcast. And first of all, kudos to you. Congratulations on your leadership in the society. And furthermore, the initiative and the work to conceive of Welly. Can we just take a, a pause here? How did you do this? How did you come up with this? I know you said you know, you observed the uh, disproportionate, you know, gen- the gender imbalance. But how did you have the wherewithal to come up with this whole program and a mission statement and and content and the model of the proteges and the advisors? Uh, did you literally like just dream it up, or were you reading about something? How were you inspired to create this? So I'm a scientist, a clinician scientist, and I've been very fortunate at Hopkins. I have two amazing mentors who have guided me over the past decade. So I model a lot of this after their relationships with me. To be honest, Kim, I came up with it when I was post-call. I had been up after a 24-hour shift and I was really sleep deprived. And this idea came into my head and I texted a few friends and they said, sounds good. And then I drafted it during my son's violin lesson, because as working parents, we all have to multitask. And then I sent it off and then I went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up and I thought, oh my gosh, what did I just propose? (laughs) (laughs) And off it went. And, you know, once the train starts going, you just keep going. And uh, it's been awesome. The best post-call, no inhibition, sleep deprived. Let's just go for it while I'm at my kid's violin lesson project I've ever done. Uh, See, folks, this is an example. Listen to what Dr. Lee just said. Now, she's not advocating this about being sleep deprived, but what genius comes out of when, yeah, that's a good point. When you just are exhausted and you feel a need and something arrives in your head, well, take a hold of that genius and talk about multitasking and being what I talked about in another podcast, the competent woman or the competent person syndrome. You want something done, you know, the most competent person will usually knock it out of the park, but what creativity and wow, that, that to me, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking of this model of so, so many, the irony, it's not, it's kind of bittersweet humor. So many people now I think are sleep deprived and really overwhelmed with the pandemic, post pandemic, all the idea formation of available in us. Uh, if we could have just a little bit of space sometimes, maybe go to take your neighbor to their to their soccer lesson or their football game with their violin lesson. You can come up with an idea and conceive of it. That is genius. I love it. Well, you know, the other key part is the people. So finding people to do it with, with us. And so I built an amazing team. So I have to credit my team. Yeah. Well, you're, you're very humble. So you mentioned the sort of three things. Let's just get right into now mentoring and coaching because we all know and appreciate the value of mentoring. There's been a lot published in this space. And so we get it. And you know, you and I were just talking, coaching is becoming even more important and more popular. People are trying to figure out, do I need a coach? Should I be a coach? So yeah, let's just get into that. I want to hear how you uh, approach the difference between mentoring and coaching. Mentoring is a very well-known paradigm within academic medicine. And so the classic example is I want to learn a skill. I go to somebody and then they tell me what to do. And then I pick up the skill. Coaching is very different. It's all about listening and trying to get your protege to really explore for herself or himself where they want to go in life. And so the example I like to give is the uh, Metro 
map of Washington, D.C. So you've got the green line, the yellow line, the red line, and all of them lead to the Smithsonian. So if your protege says, I want to get to the Smithsonian, but the advisor says, take the red line, and the protege says, well, I really think I want to go on the green line, the protege is more likely to succeed on the green line. And so the coach's job is to help them say, where do you want to go? Which line do you want to take? And then hold them accountable. And if the green line didn't work, it's okay. So take the fear out of failure. And then if it didn't work, explore with them why didn't work, what didn't work, what are we going to try now? Is it the green line again with a different approach or do you want to try a different line? And so we just had a coaching workshop. So we train all of our advisors in former coaching skills. We bring coaches, executive coaches, either in person or virtually to do coaching training sessions. And my executive coach is Ellen Moore from More Creative Strategies. And she taught us an acronym called WAIT, W-A-I-T, which stands for Why Am I Talking? (laughs) So in coaching, we should ask ourselves, why am I talking? My protege should be talking and I should be listening and asking probing questions to try to help my protege figure out where they want to go in life how to most effectively get there, and then again, hold them accountable and help them get there. Oh, so Jenny, I love two things. The map, I, I love the visual image of the, the map of DC and the, the lines. That's a great uh, metaphor. And I really love the weight thing. Why am I talking? I say that to myself every time. Every time I do one of these podcasts, I hear myself I'm like, why am I talking? <laughs> well, I, it's from Ellen Moore. It's from my coach. I mean... Coaches are, are amazing people. You're a coach yourself, Kim. Right, right. Well, yeah. And so I, I just recently got the College of Executive Coaching and I'm learning to be, oh, what, is, what did I have to, one of my co- the coach told me to learn to be, have, find comfort in the discomfort, find yes. comfort in discomfort and trust the process, you know, be patient, listen, and I'm a talker. I talk to think. So it's it's a challenge for me sometimes to just let that silence rest there. But I, 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 I'm going to break that down on a sticky note. Why am I talking to remind myself? <laughs> so thank Ellen for me. <laughs> I will. I will. And then we work on networking. And we specifically work on facilitated networking. So we must foster connections with each other. And this is particularly hard for anesthesiologists because we sit by ourselves in the operating room all day. So we don't have noon lectures or daily lectures. We don't round with other people. We put our patients to sleep and we stay there. The importance of understanding what facilitated networking is versus just trying to network. If you can imagine walking up to a stranger at a conference, holding out your hand and saying, hi, I'm Jenny. And then it gets awkward. Like, what do you say? But if it's facilitated, you walk up with a shared purpose. And so with COVID, as we were all losing touch with each other, we created a virtual facilitated networking venue called GAIN, which is grow and advance through intentional networking. And so it's a Zoom forum. And two to three times a month, we bring between five and eight people together to talk about a theme. So one of them is resilience. So how is it that when I'm uncomfortable and there's so much discomfort, I can do something to return some comfort and gain a little bit of more solid ground 
And that can be the resilience in dealing with crazy, hectic family work schedules to a patient arresting to we couldn't find PPE during COVID. Hmm. And we always try to leave these sessions with a takeaway tool. And most of the tools, again, come from the executive coaches who have led our workshops. We have a takeaway and we keep them small. So five to eight people. So everybody talks. It's confidential. And it's a way that we take really famous people in our field, the chairs, the deans, the chiefs, I might bring you, Kim, to one, and have them meet our protégés. And so the instructors and the newly, newly graduated from fellowship, they meet a vice dean and they realize this person's actually quite approachable and really nice. And it just breaks down barriers. And it creates a bonding and it's a a way to support well-being because it reminds us we're not alone. We're all battling something similar. And for people that are a little bit farther in their lives, for instance, my kids are now 13 and 11 years old. I can really understand what the people that are going through sleep training are dealing with while they're also trying to work full-time and take call and write papers. But I can say to them, it's going to pass. And there are all these little moments that you should be happy about. So enjoy them. And then I can look at somebody who's now their kids are adult and grown up. And so there's just, it it brings perspective to the entire work balance and everything that we're dealing with in the whole timeline. So it's been probably one of our more popular activities. I will say that we are doing, I am a scientist, so we're doing outcome metrics. And so we do longitudinal surveys every six months to see if we're making a difference. And so our repeated measurements are showing that our members feel that their ability to mentor others has significantly improved from Welly. Um, They are finding more meaning in their work and a greater sense of personal achievement. And so that's enough to tell us to keep going. Um, But that is the networking component. Amazing. I, I really appreciate the gain. How often do you do the grow and advance in intentional networking Yeah, the goal is about two to three times a month during the regular academic year. We take the summer off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then also one of our other really important rules is you can have your kid or another family member on the Zoom call with you. So when we do these workshops, and so we have one workshop on the imposter syndrome and empowerment, and uh, you can see people's children watching, like bring them onto the screen because The work-life integration is important to embrace. Bring these kids onto the screen. There's, you don't have to dress up for these networking sessions, come as you are. And that helps a lot because a lot of people have a lot of home responsibilities. And so people call in from the car, (laughs) from their vacation while they're taking care of family members, and then they can still have this connection. And the biggest advantage is obviously they can connect and not have to get on an airplane and travel. And then when it is time for us to do our in-person facilitated networking at the conferences, and we're going to be in person in our, our October conference, they've, they've already met. Jenny, I mean, yeah, you're so. right. I'm just, I'm so thrilled that you have built this community because I'm my mantra, my personal mantra in my faculty development space has always been to build small communities of engagement, starting with WAGs, writing accountability groups mm-hmm. back in the day. But I'm envisioning, you know, larger scale, you're creating You have created this network of folks who, when they are ready, these women are ready to go up for promotion. Who do the committees normally ask for letters of support or recommendation? 
external people in your field. Well, now if you are a known commodity, you are a known presence, you're building relationships. Those letters, letter writers may feel a greater sense of uh, dedication and loyalty to actually do the letter in the timeline to expedite the promotions process. But then they do authentically feel like they they know you, they connect, you're, you're building the community where we take care of each other. And that to me is like, that's like a, a big, huge macro effect of building the sustainable community of women supporting women. And you've also created on a micro level, this safe space where, and, for, and also, you know, COVID helped us out where, again, we don't have to, we're not on stage, if you will, at the conference with the hairs right. and the jewelry and the makeup and the heels and the bag and the, That's right. you know, the blank. We're home in our ponytails and our hoodies with the kids and the dogs and the cats and the noise and the garbage truck outside. And guess what? We're all fine with that. Uh, I've seen my boss all dressed down and we are all comfortable and like we're over it. We don't need to be impressing anybody. It's a safe place. You're 100% right. I do want to add that it's also men helping women. Oh, that's right. Um, So half of our advisors are men, but the men are benefiting too. And so one of the outcomes that came out of these surveys, which I was astonished, was how many men I'm so you can hear my dog talk about work life integration. Um, The kids are coming home from the pool. Um, (laughs) The men are benefiting from the mentoring and coaching and the networking as well. And then our goal is for everybody to take these information and lessons back to their own departments and then implement it there. That's right. That's right. And we have had very good success in getting our members promoted when it comes to letter writing because of everything that you just described. Exactly. I could. It always, you know, we, we have had this discussion in faculty development at the AAMC Association of American Medical Colleges group on faculty affairs about having single gender programs like women's leadership programs or men's leadership programs and UIM leadership programs and the, the, the positives and negatives of having gender specific programs. And how they, there's a good, good part of that, of course, for networking and safety and feeling that um, you have to feel, you can just feel more honest sometimes when you're with all women, for example, in my, in your, my personal experience. And then there's also that, you know, the, the other side of that is, gosh, if we don't have all voices, all diversity, be it in age, ability, race, ethnicity, culture, Um, If we don't have all that at the table, how can you really make advances? So there's that that push, that worry that we have to, you know, women as women, we have to fix ourselves. And just if we were just changed, then we could be competitive or there would be more equity if we, you know, somehow addressed our inadequacies. So which is the wrong approach. So you really it it does behoove us to involve men and fill in the blank and any other, you know, older, younger different um, status and stages of the career, because that's where you get the richness and the wisdom is in the full spectrum and, and depth of, of all of our different, um, you know, facets. So I think it's great that you got men involved so that they can see that and women can see men and men can see women and just buy into that. It's, we all win, right? We all win. It does. And then rather than taking the the thought process of, I don't have this skill when I walk into a boardroom. 
you just talked about the diversity in different backgrounds. We actually all have strengths. That's right. And so part of our program is everybody takes a Clifton Strengths assessment to see where our personality strengths are. And if you really do have a diverse group of people who walk into a boardroom and they say, this is my strength that I am bringing to the table, it's huge. The impact could be huge. Organizational growth would be tremendous if we just all brought our different strengths, appreciated the strengths in each other. It's phenomenal. You're right. I love that tool of uh, Dr. Rachel Salas and Charlene Gamaldo here in in neurology. They're both trained in that Clifton Strengths. And Rachel describes uh, uh, the process now in the clinic. They, she does sleep disorders and sleep studies where she has done it with all the staff, all employees, everybody in their lab. They have done the Clifton Strengths. And so she knows her families and her patients to know that I need a feeler I need a a strategic person here. She will pull people together to go meet with families or to spend time to do, um, you know, getting the patients in or following up with them based on their strengths. So everybody on the team feels valued because they know at any time their strength is, you know, we need you, you know, we need an an input person. We need a, an achiever. That's amazing. And so everybody's contributing to, their strengths. And, and so she has that heightened awareness and everyone's aware of that. And then similarly aware of what I, I guess they call it the Myers-Briggs, we call it, call it in the grip. But I think, you know, when your strengths are overplayed, that could be your weaknesses. I think they call it the blind spots, I think, in Clifton strengths that knowing our strengths and then similarly being aware of where we are, we don't do very well. So hence, I need a Jenny oh my gosh, you know, if I'm going to go into this meeting or this thing, I need get, get me Dr. Lee because she's really good there. And that's something I struggle with. So that, that kind of coaching and awareness, really just everybody wins with that approach. That's right. Yeah. I love it that we're on the same page. Yeah, I love it. No, this is a <laughs> great, I love Welly. You said you started it in 18, 2018? Yeah, fall of 2018. That was our first coaching workshop. Unbelievable. And 190 members already. Yes. We had to limit the enrollment to make sure we could deliver quality. And then we have a single application cycle in in the fall and people can self-nominate. So ideally they'd be uh, nominated by a leader in their department or someone they know, but absolutely we take people who self-nominate. We love that. And the program is how, how long is the entire program? You talked about three components of it. Is that the entire program? No, it's actually, so I, I picked three. We have seven domains that we work on. We have a two-year curriculum um, that was developed by one of our uh, executive coach leaders. And the curriculum is delivered through six to eight workshops per year. So we bring in outside content experts and executive coaches and you know attorneys to teach negotiation. How did you get this funded or people pay? How is this? Yeah, Yeah. good question. So the protégés pay $450 a year to be a member and the advisors pay nothing. And so we want our advisors to help the protégés in exchange for all of this education. And then we do a lot of fundraising. Um, I've actually gotten industry support, um, had a little bit of support from Massimo to pay for one of our workshops and Everywhere that we can fundraise, we do. 
And we really rely on our advisors to create these sponsorship activities, which are so important. And we can talk a little bit about sponsorship because I was shocked at how many people didn't know what sponsorship was. Please, let's. So, you know, there's so many brilliant faculty that sit around and wait for the invitation to talk about what they do. And what we need them to do is step forward and say, hey, I'm ready to talk about all the great things that I do. And so by educating our members and how important it is, and actually it's our duty to create opportunities for other people to disseminate their information. So invite your colleague to your institution to talk. Invite your colleagues to speak on a panel at a conference. Open these doors, especially for the next generation of people coming up, the instructors, assistant professors, associate professors, open those doors for them. Because if we're able to walk through the door, bring more people with us. And so actually, we're working on a version of that at Hopkins. Um, It was started in my department. So again, I'm in the Department of Anesthesia and Critical Care Medicine. And in January of this year, we started the Visiting Professor Exchange. And so, you know, COVID stopped so many of our in-person lectures. So we said, well, why don't we do it virtually? And so uh, Dr. Nader Faraday partnered with me and my chair and Dr. Mary Beth Brady, who's a cardiac anesthesiologist. And we reached out to institutions around the country and we created virtual venues for people to talk, deliver invited lectures. And for a lot of people, it's their first invited lecture. So the requirements to be in the program, you got to have something to talk about. And so we say, talk about anything that's important to you. So that includes clinical protocols. It's not just original science, but it can be original science, education, bioethics, diversity. It's been phenomenal. And then they need to have a mentor with that talk. And then for people that are from Johns Hopkins, Dr. Mary Beth Brady created a curriculum on how to give an effective lecture. And she has this whole Zoom talk about how to make your slides and how not to make your slides. And I've been giving talks for years. I've given hundreds. And I watched Mary Beth's uh, recording. And I was like, oh, yes, I need to improve my slides. <laughs> and I really did. And so since January, we've planned around more than 40 um, of these lectures. And a lot of them are shared venues. So we'll have multiple departments call into the same Zoom link. And so we have the Hopkins anesthesiologists and anesthesiologists from Boston and from Florida, all on the same call, listening to one speaker And then at the end, we can all talk and meet each other and say, well, this is how we do it here. How would you do it there? And it also really raises the excitement level for the speaker, because not only are they giving their expert opinion, uh, but they hear the feedback from different hospitals. And there you go. It facilitates networking. And then we build mentoring right into it, uh, because when we do practice runs with them, we mentor them through the talk and the delivery. So we've been very fortunate. It's been a good program. Oh, Jenny, I'm just blown away by this. Anesthesiology, critical care medicine knocks it out of the park every time. I remember when I first came to Hopkins and I learned about the tool that the department, your IT folks had built this amazing annual review, comprehensive, mm-hmm. very rich database to look at um, outcomes of faculty in all facets and in, in the in the OR and research and education and tied that to all these the RVUs and promotion and it's such a such a smart actually it just it's the best tool I, I've seen here at Hopkins we're trying to get hmm. tool wide if we can get it funded but that's amazing and this is just another example of you're just genius you've come up with this 
Welly and the Visiting Professor Exchange. I want, so is this a facilitated, do you, are you the moderator? Does the mentor uh, moderate the discussion? How does that operationally work? So it's all about the networking. So we have a host, a host from the facility, the hosting institution, introduce the speaker. And then if there's time, we can set up 30-minute Zoom meetings for the speaker to do like a virtual visiting professorship. Oh my God. And so when we have people come speak virtually to Hopkins, I try to find a content expert to be their host and introduce them to the department. So that creates recognition for the person who, so for instance, we could have somebody who wants to speak about liver transplant. I would take a junior or mid-faculty person or maybe the chief and say, I need you to host this person. You're going to introduce them to the department, but you're also going to announce the talk to the department, which raises their recognition. And then it forces them to meet the speaker. And then they have something in common. It puts them automatically into a facilitated networking environment. And then we go from there. Unbelievable. I love it. And as you mentioned earlier, it's it's efficient. You're saving time. You're saving money. Nobody has budget anymore. And mm-hmm. you're, you're building community, right? You're showing how we can pivot and really do some good things. And um, yeah, be innovative. I love it. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's particularly good for people that can't travel. So that's a big limiting factor for people that have a lot of home care responsibilities. So both women and men do child care. Um, take care of their own parents and extended family. And that prevents a lot of us from flying across the country uh, to give talks or to attend conferences. And so this allows you to do it from home. Um, You know, at Hopkins, in order to get promoted, you have to give talks. Mm -hmm. And so unless you have a 24-7 nanny at home, you can't do it. And so if we can create these venues for people to do it without having to leave their homes and their families, I think we can help a lot of people and advance our field even faster. Oh my gosh. And this is so so easy now. We've all become so facile with Zoom. Right. And there's no uh, very, you need someone to organize it and get the roster and then do the inviting, but it's sounds like it's a low cost, low-ish effort uh, process. Let's not like you have to hire a full-time person to do this. Am I right? No, it's, um, we've had no expenses to be honest, but I did just ask for a shared drive. <laughs> it's going to oh be like $5 God. a month. No, forget about that. <laughs> now you're over the top. Dr. Lee, what are you talking about? A share drive. Too much money. Game over. Game over. Um, yeah, no, it, it helps to have an administrator to coordinate things. But it, it, again, Kim, it's, it's about the people, right? <clears throat> and it's about building your team. And so when you have a bunch of chiefs and senior faculty, who want their junior faculty to go out and give talks and we want to receive them. It just happens. Everybody comes together and we make it work. It's always the people that make it work. And that's what makes all these programs so great. It's the people. Amen. Yep. It comes down to it. And look at how ingenious we are when we need to recalibrate, when we need to find get off the green line and go to the red line or whatever. We can do it. We can figure out a new process and make it work as long as the will is there. As long as we see each other as people. And it's it's a beautiful thing to take that time and really be inspired by others' experiences and getting those ideas. And who knows, the next time you're sleep deprived or at, at your kid's violin practice, you may come up with another idea or <laughs> this, this is how these things happen, you know, by talking and thinking and carving out time to just think and be and experience. So 
just, I, I just really want to thank you so much. This has been such an inspiring, I think I've got five things I'm going to do is in addition to the weight, why am I talking? What's going to be in a big sticky note in about five minutes for me, but this has been really, really great. Did you want to leave any parting thoughts or comments or any other hints or habits or hacks that you can share with the, with the group? I think my parting comment is how much joy comes out of working on programs like this. Because I think the protégés who benefit are obviously very happy, that the advisors and the mentors and the senior faculty who support them probably come out just as happy or if not happier, because there's so much joy in helping somebody elevate and realize that they can do things that they didn't think they could accomplish. And to watch somebody recognize, I actually do have that potential. It's probably one of the greatest professional joys, mm. aside from taking care of our patients, right. that I've ever experienced. So the giving portion is amazing. And I, I just feel very grateful to be in this space. Oh, my gosh. That's so well said. Dr. Jennifer Lee, Jenny, uh, this, you really did hit the nail on the head there with the joy. We have to find moments of joy and this, the giving, you know, reminding ourselves, we, we gave so much this past year and, and sometimes it, it can feel thankless and we take a lot of hits in academic medicine, but you're right to see someone else's eyes light up and the light bulb goes off and the smile and the shoulders relax. And that person, mm -hmm. when you feel like, oh my gosh, I see life and light in that other person. And it really does make you feel so happy. Like I can go to bed tonight. I did a good thing and I'm actually contributing, bringing value. So thank you for bringing so much value to Hopkins, to the faculty factory community, to your field. Very, very blessed to have you. And um, thank you again, Jenny. Thank you so much. See you next time on the Faculty Factory podcast, everybody. Till next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.